Good morning, Simi Church. I'm Lynette Collins, and welcome. Our mission here at Simi Church is to love God and neighbor one household at a time. We're a group of ordinary people with the extraordinary message of Jesus Christ. So no matter who you are or what your story, we're glad you're here. In just a minute, we'll have our message brought to you by my husband, Joe. I'd like to pray and get our hearts ready. Join me. Father, we thank you so much that we have this day to take a minute and just honor you in our hearts, in our minds, with our words and our actions. God, I pray that the message really ministers to our hearts and that we're open to your scriptures. Your words are amazing. They give us life. They give us breath. And we cannot thank you enough that we can join together as a family, whether online or in person, God, the power is there from your Holy Spirit. So we thank you for this message, and we thank you for this day to worship you and commune with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. I'm Joe Collins, and thank you for joining us this morning. For the past several months, I've been doing a series called One-on-One -on -one with Jesus. The idea is to look at the individual interactions Jesus had with various people in Scripture to see what we can apply to our lives today. Last week, we looked at a one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and a leper, and we learned that each of us has a testimony that needs to be told. Today, we're going to take a look at a one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of something called the Sanhedrin. As always, the goal is to draw out something relevant to our faith and life today. Turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to pray and ask for God's blessing before we get started. Father, thank you for this time bringing us together. Even though we're not in person, we are together in spirit and we are together worshiping you as one. And I pray that your spirit meet with us now. Help us to hear and learn something great in your word that will inspire us in our lives going forward. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, according to John's gospel, the one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and Nicodemus took place during Jesus' first trip to Jerusalem after he'd become a recognized religious figure with a following. Now, as we learned last week, Jesus, by this time, had already gained a reputation as a miracle worker and had gotten the attention of the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem. One of them was a man named Nicodemus. Here and in other parts of John's Gospel, we learn that Nicodemus was a man of significant standing in the religious community. He was both a Pharisee and a member of what John called the Jewish ruling council, also known as the Sanhedrin, which functioned something like a Supreme Court for the Jewish nation. Now the Talmud, which is a 
sort of history slash commentary of Jewish law and tradition that dates back all the way to the 4th century AD tells us that there were two types of rabbinical courts called Sanhedrin. The first was the Great Sanhedrin, and the others were called Lesser Sanhedrin. It seems that in each town and city in Palestine where there was a significant Jewish presence, there was a Sanhedrin of something, about, of, of something like 23 judges who would hear cases regarding religious law and practice. While Jerusalem was the seat of what was called the Great Sanhedrin, which consisted of 71 judges, including Nicodemus, and among other things, heard appeals from cases decided by the lesser courts. So in that way, it really was like a Supreme Court. Now, whether this system was in place <coughs> and functioning <coughs> in the time of Jesus, I'm not 100% sure. But what I am sure of <coughs> is that Nicodemus was a very important, influential, and learned man, which makes this one-on-one -on -one with Jesus all the more significant and interesting, especially in light of what we're about to read. Let's read verses 3 and 4. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now at first glance, Jesus' reply to Nicodemus seems both abrupt and cryptic. I mean, even though he was the younger man, he offered no pleasantries or compliments in reply to Nicodemus, and instead jumped right into this bold proclamation about how to enter the kingdom of God. Almost as if he was answering a question that Nicodemus hadn't asked yet. Now, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I expect to be spoken to with some deference and some decorum, especially by people younger than me. Recently, I was in supervision with my coworkers at the rehab I work at once a week, and I was speaking about a client, and while I was talking, I felt like I was being ignored, and then I actually got interrupted by one of the therapists who happened to be younger than me. I can tell you, I don't, I, I was so angry, I don't think I said another word, the rest of the supervision. So I can appreciate Nicodemus for hanging in there with Jesus, even though the conversation didn't start off on such a great note. And as we'll see, got increasingly tense. Here's something to remember for future reference. No matter your age or station in life, conversations with Jesus don't often start off on a good foot and they rarely go well if you aren't willing to lay your pride aside and be spoken to like a subordinate. Because Jesus isn't looking for our praise, and he already knows what we're going to ask even before we ask it. And I think that's why he dispensed with the pleasantries and just straight up answered the question Nicodemus came to ask him. How can someone be born again? Now, if I said as I've said repeatedly in this series, Jesus' message of baptism for repentance and forgiveness was controversial. But for Nicodemus, it was also confusing because according to the law of Moses, membership in God's kingdom was a birthright of the Jewish people. Yet God, but yet Jesus was telling them, the people, that they had to be born again to enter the kingdom. 
So you can understand why Nicodemus, in frustration, asked Jesus if he was somehow suggesting that a grown man could actually re-enter his mother's womb in order to be birthed again. The fact is, Nicodemus didn't see the connection between being born again and Jesus' baptism of repentance for forgiveness. You know, the more I think about how hard Jesus had to work to get his message across, the more I understand how important it really is. As the world is grappling and working hard to overcome with important issues like injustice and inequality, I believe we, the church, have to work even harder at spreading Jesus' message of repentance and forgiveness. Let's read verse 5 through 8. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Let me ask you this question. When you hear Jesus say, born of water and spirit, what immediately comes to your mind? Feel free to type it in the chat if you'd like. Is it baptism? You know, I've studied the Bible with hundreds, maybe thousands of people in 29 years of Christianity, and I've asked that question more times than I can remember. And you know what? I cannot recall a single time when someone, no matter how religious or irreligious they may have been, said anything other than baptism. I mean, next to the cross, baptism is the single most recognizable sign of Christianity. So why was Nicodemus so confused about it? Well, first, let's be honest, he didn't have 2,000 plus years of Christian history to learn from. The day of Pentecost hadn't happened yet. He didn't see 3,000 people get baptized, then later another 2,000. Jesus' message of baptism, repentance for forgiveness, hadn't spread like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire. And Christianity hadn't yet become, far and away, the world's largest and most influential religion of all time. Second, he was trapped by his own traditions. You see, as a Pharisee, Nicodemus was part of an ancient Jewish sect who all too often thought of themselves as superior to their fellow Jews and who were noted for their strict observance to the law and adherence to something called the tradition of the elders. Now, as such, Nicodemus agreed with the majority of his contemporaries that the Messiah, also known as the Savior Israel, would be a political figure who would lead a physical or earthly movement to deliver the nation from Roman rule, which explains, I believe, why he was so confused by Jesus' insistence that the kingdom of God was this spiritual kingdom. And why, Jesus said in verses 6 and 7, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Here's my point, and I want you to think about this for a minute in light of what we've learned so far of all the things that Jesus could have said when he had a chance to speak to a Supreme Court Justice, Nicodemus, and one of the most influential people in the land, he chose to tell him not of his grievances with the Roman Empire, but instead 
He told Nicodemus to abandon his traditions, to let go of the dream of an earthly kingdom, and to be born of water and spirit, to be part of a spiritual kingdom. You know, I think about when I first came to real faith in Jesus. I don't think I really understood him either. I was about 13. I had been reading the Bible quite a bit. I had gone to a a religious school, a Christian school, and I had learned quite a lot, and I made a decision that I needed to get baptized. I believed it was for forgiveness. But you know, the whole repentance thing was fuzzy at best. I think I shared a little bit about this last week. As a result, by the time I was 16 all the way into my early 20s, other than reading the Bible on occasion, there was really nothing Christian about me. I think of what Jesus says here in verse 8. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You know, baptism means nothing without the Spirit. And the Spirit only comes when you truly repent and you let go of this world, what you're holding on to, what's earthly. You know, if you've been attending See Me Church for some time now and you've not been baptized, what are you waiting for? What are you holding on to? What does this world have to offer you? If you're a member of See Me Church and you've been baptized, but you don't feel the Spirit leading you, what part of the world has gotten hold of you again? What have you grabbed back onto and let back into your life? Verse 9. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. I want you to remember back what I said earlier. No matter your age or station in life, conversations with Jesus don't often start off on a good foot and rarely go well if you're not willing to lay your pride aside and be spoken to like a subordinate. And no part of this one-on-one between Jesus and Nicodemus is evidence of this truth more than what we just read. Even after Jesus takes the time to explain the connection between his baptism and being born again into the kingdom of God, Nicodemus is still struggling to understand it. So Jesus rebukes him. You are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? Apparently, Nicodemus needed a stern talking to. I believe it was because he just wasn't really ready to let go yet of the dream of an earthly kingdom. And as a result, he just couldn't hear what Jesus was telling him. He couldn't believe in God's spiritual kingdom. You know, sometimes like Nicodemus, I think, I know I do, and I think you do too, need a stern talking to once in a while. And so, let me give you one right now. Like Nicodemus, we too want the dream of a better world, but we must never fall into the trap that this world is our home, because it's not. And even though there are times when our actions can make a difference, it's only for a time. 
And that's why, as Jesus explains in verses 12 and 15, we must trust him because he's the only one who has been to the other side and he's the only one who knows how to get there. Church, we have an election coming up here in a couple of months. And in addition to all the controversies surrounding equality and COVID, the potential for real damage to be done to your faith and to the faith of others is there. So let me caution you. Do not let your personal opinions about how to make this world a better place take priority over preaching Jesus and him crucified. I mean, isn't that what Jesus meant when he said, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him? You see, Jesus' solution to making the world is a better place is to just create a better place. It's called heaven, and it's awesome. It's eternal. I can't wait to get there. So no matter who wins in November, my vote is always for Jesus. John chapter 7, verse 50 and 51. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? You know, even though Nicodemus' first encounter with Jesus wasn't his finest, in the end, Nicodemus turns out to be a sincere seeker of truth, and he ultimately did become, it is believed, a follower of Jesus. John chapter 7, we learn that three years after the first encounter with Jesus, Nicodemus, who was part of that great Sanhedrin, did not consent or agree with their arrest and conviction of Jesus. John chapter 19, verse 38, tells us this. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. Here we learn that after Jesus was eventually tried, convicted, and crucified, it was Nicodemus, along with another member of the Sanhedrin, called a man called Joseph of Arimathea, who apparently was also a follower of Jesus. Together, they took down the body of Jesus and they buried him properly. You know, as I read these passages, it just reminds me that with Jesus, it's, it's nice to know that we have second chances. Even though we may blew it, blow it initially and again, Jesus is always willing to give us a second chance. You know, as I think about Nicodemus' journey from this first interaction with Jesus and the, the slip-ups that he made and some of the embarrassing comments and the stern rebuke, all the way to the end of John where we learn that Nicodemus actually became a believer and a follower of Jesus, I, I can't help but think of how this, this one-on-one with Jesus, um, with Jesus must have impacted Nicodemus and how over time Nicodemus must have thought about it and reflected back on it and how maybe it eventually, and how it must have eventually moved him to become a believer. So I want to close out today's lesson by just reading the rest of the interaction 
between Jesus and Nicodemus. And I want to let the words speak for themselves because I believe they're enough to minister to you as they have me. And I know how they ministered to Nicodemus. Let's read. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict, Nicodemus. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I want to thank you for listening to me this morning. 